Welcome back, everyone, to the House of Hustle podcast here on Sports Radio 810. We are presented, all, as always, by Charlie Hustle. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen St. John, who is back, somewhat healthy, maybe fully healthy. We'll see. But great to have you back, Stephen. How you doing? Oh, I'm healthy. The voice is, is battling what I went through over the weekend, of course, culminating with screaming for uh, almost four hours of my television <laughs> during the Chiefs and Ravens game as the Chiefs go back to the Super Bowl. But you know what? This is a good pain. This is a good pain. I like yeah, this. That's, that's right. I can deal with this. You'll get through it. That's right. It's, it's a victory Monday. I'm getting to it, baby. It's, Let's it's, go. It's a victory Monday. We are presented, as always, by our friends at Charlie Hustle. Be sure to head over to charliehustle.com to get stocked up in all your new, fresh, vintage gear. Also, shout-out to Jerome Tang, who was the Charlie Hustle's first-ever Community Tea Coach of the Year, supporting coaches versus cancer this weekend. So that's, congrats. A good man. that's a good man right there. Congrats to, to Jerome Tang. I have my Dennis Gates uh, vintage T-shirt uh, that I got as well. So uh, big shout-out to charliehustle.com. We also have a new sponsorship we want to tell you about with Capital Investment Management. Big thank you to David Garrison and his team over at Capital Investment Management, uh, proud sponsor of the House of Hustle podcast. We got a fun interview here today, Stephen. Pretty excited about well, it. I want I want a Melvin Booker vintage T-shirt. Where can I get one of those, Jared? <laughs> we need to get one of those. What the hell? Let's let's welcome in Melvin Booker. Malcolm, welcome to the to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Oh man, thanks for having me. Very excited about being on the show right now. Well, listen, you know, one of the best players in, in school history at the University of Missouri. We're going to get to a lot of uh, a lot of things in, in regards to your career as a player. Um, I always like to start an interview, which is kind of where it all started. And for you, that was Moss Point, Mississippi. Um, great player, great high school player. Um, I, I always like to ask, just kind of starting out, like, do you remember as a kid your first, like, love of basketball as a kid? Like, any, any moments that jump out, um, even before high school, you know, before, you know, you kind of became the player you became, but just your first, like, love of the game of basketball. I always like to hear how, how that starts. You know, my love started with uh, with my pops. He played. He wasn't like a college player or anything. He just played a lot, like in local gyms, semi-pro leagues. And uh, I just used to be with him all the time in the gyms and uh, running around on the side of the court. You know, the kid that's running on, getting on the court. Why are they playing? And he's like, yo, get off the court. Yeah, that was, that was me when I was a little kid. And uh, that's why I fell in love with the game, man. And just here I am. 51 years old and still involved in it like crazy. Yeah. So when, when you're a kid growing up, like, were you trying to get in like some, some pickup runs with like older, older kids or, you know, like you're, I know like kind of you just, as you kind of became the player you became in high school, like just developing into, you know, your frame and all those things. Like how did that look for, for you just trying to get into to those type well, you, of runs? Well, you know, you started playing in your neighborhood first, you know, with the local kids. And then, you know, I was much better than those guys. And, and then my pops had this bright idea to say, start playing with him and his friends. And, you know, he used to rough me up, but I was learning a lot from playing against these older guys. And uh, those are the things that I remember. I finally got to the point where I started having some success against the grown men. And I used to let them know, too. I used to talk a lot of trash <laughs> with these guys. It was trash talk as well then. That's when I built my confidence, man, that I felt like, you know, I could be a good player. And, you know, it just started from that neighborhood and in the gyms with my pops. And next thing you know, it just started going from there. So I wanted to talk to you about recruiting and, and how you ended up at, at Mizzou. We all know recruiting is a different world nowadays than it was uh, years ago. But uh, I was reading an article, and I wanted just to fact check and see if, if all these things were true about, about your recruiting. Uh, and so uh, your, your senior year, 
Tulane and South Alabama and Central Florida. Uh, th- those were teams Correct. that were on you, right? Is that is that true? Correct. Okay, the Correct. main teams. Okay, so I uh, read that Rich Daly, the Mizzou assistant, uh, was was in the stands to watch your teammate Latirio Green, who ended up being Georgia's all-time leading scorer, and you guys were playing Chris Jackson, uh, for, for, who ended up being an incredible player at LSU, uh, and 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 they saw you. Uh, contacted uh, your coach, uh, Arthur Haynes, to keep tabs on you. Ended up averaging 28 points a game. Mizzou was having a good season, and that's how it all started. I mean, first of all, how much talent was on the on the floor for that basketball game, high school game? Uh, that's incredible. But just are all those things, all those facts true about about how you ended up getting recruited by Mizzou? All of that is true, but the talent level on the the Gulf Coast of Mississippi at the time, like Latera Green and Chris Jackson. Now Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, they were like the number one, number two point guards in the nation. And we were all in the same district, which was crazy. So I was the only young guy. I was a sophomore. Those guys were seniors. I was the only young guy that was playing on the court then because, you know, young guys just didn't play back then. And, um, yeah, that's how Rich Daly saw me. But here's a story that a lot of people don't know. As good as a player I was, I was not recruited by any of the state schools. Wow. Yeah. Univ- Southern Mississippi, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, none of those guys recruited me. And I was the player of the year at the state. I don't understand how that doesn't make sense at all. But <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't know that part of the story. But, yeah, that, most of that is true. Rich Daly saw me as a sophomore. He reached back out my senior year. Um, at the time, Mizzou was number one in the nation. And uh, I was so excited because I was just getting to mid-major schools at the time. And I I immediately just like, yo, this the number one school in the nation want to recruit me. And, and, you know, I took a visit there and I just fell in love with, you know, Mizzou. I have family in St. Louis, so that made, you know, a little adjustment. And um, the rest was history. Was, was it true that uh, the atmosphere at the Hearn Center during a game with Oklahoma that you were at, that, that's, that's what got the deal done? Tell us Man, what, that, what done. was that like? You know, what's crazy is uh, – I was on my recruiting visit. It was Oklahoma, one versus two. And that was my first time being like, and I visit, back in the day, you visit. I visit without my fam. It was just me. I flew up there by myself, and I'm on campus by myself. And, you know, I had Doug and AP as my host. Oh, wow. Who two greats at Mizzou. Wow. That's and, amazing. And, and I could just see, like, the rock star status that these guys had. And I was like, I mean, holy shit, I want to be a part of this. <laughs> And like everywhere we went around Columbia, the mall, I don't know, is Boone's Boone's Tavern still around? I don't think it is. Oh, man, I don't even I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is. I don't but think we, so. We went to the restaurant Boone Tavern that night and it was just like rock star status. And I was like, what is this? And I had no idea it was that big there. And immediately I came off that visit. I was like, this is what I want to be a part of. Who was a bigger rock star, AP or Doug Smith at that time? Man, at that time they both were. Yeah. I mean, like we were in the mall one time. I kid you not, people was following us and I was just like a seventeen year old kid from Moss Point, Mississippi, like, why are these people following us? But <laughs> they both were like rock stars at that time, man. It, it it was just incredible. So when you were growing up too, like but prior to the visit, like and you mentioned those schools in that in the region that didn't recruit you. Did you like grow up being fans of those schools? Like, did you follow Ole Miss and Mississippi State, like hoping that that's where you would play one day? And it, or was it just kind of open of of where you thought you might end up? Well, you know, 
playing against Chris Jackson, Mahmoud, he went to LSU, and I don't know if you remember his freshman year. Yeah, like thirty. He averaged like thirty a game. Unbelievable. Yeah, and he was like the, a rock star in college basketball. So he had most of the kids in our area. Like we wanted to go to LSU because mm. LSU is only like two hours from my home. So we were like everybody was about LSU. But still, I'm still in the state of Mississippi. I was the player of the year, and you know I couldn't get no love from the state colleges there. And I mean, I'm not saying I probably would have went there, but at least give me a, 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 give me some attention, right? Yeah, yeah, no question. <laughs> How much did that motivate you, though, and uh, light a fire under you that that they they weren't looking at you as a recruit? You know, when I came into Mizzou, I had a lot of motivation. That was one of them. They didn't recruit me. And then I also had to come to a place that nobody knew who I were, was. And um, I just had to prove myself. You know what I'm saying? And so that was the chip that I played with on my shoulder. I played for a coach in high school that was really hard and tough. We used, we really used to call him the Black Bobby Knight because that's how tough he was. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I was just built. I just played with chip on my shoulder at all times. So, so – Take us into a little bit more about playing for Norm Stewart, Storm and Norman. Because, I mean, back then, uh, in the Big 8 and then in the Big 12, you had the characters, right? You had your Johnny Orr and Norm Stewart and Billy Tubbs. And, and those were the faces of the program, the constants. Uh, and, and the fans would identify with them. And, and nobody was better than Norm. You know, and even though people booed him on the road, they st- it was one of those guys you love to hate. He was a great villain in Lawrence or in Norman or up right, in Ames. Right. W- what was he like as a coach for you as a young man heading up there? And, like, a very tough coach, it looks like, on the outside. What was it like uh, inside those walls playing for Norm Stewart? You know, Norm was tough. But when Norm came to visit me in high school and he saw how my high school coach coached, he was like, shit, if you can play for him, I know you can play for me. <laughs> so I was already prepared for the tough coach from, you know, my days in high school. And playing for Norm was like, you know, I mean, words can't explain how much he did to my career, my life, you know, as a man. And um, some of his philosophies and things I still instill in my daily life. And I also instilled it in my son's career. And he's heard all the stories as well. So. I mean, playing for Norm is just incredible, man. Legendary coach. I mean, he he's the face of Mizzou basketball. Uh, he's just been like he was like my. I I say Norm was like a third father to me. You know, I had my pops, my high school coach, and then it was Norm that impacted my life in a way. Did you have any sort of like a adjustment to you know you leave high school, you go to college, and you're a freshman and you're, you're looking up to the upperclassmen, you're playing for Coach Stewart, you're playing for a great program. Like, do you look back on just getting to campus and like the, the those first practices and was there an adjustment for you, like a, a, in terms of just the speed or just, just the level or how did that look when you were just a young freshman? I mean, coming in, you know, as, you know, like a deer in the head, like, and then seeing guys like pros like AP and Doug and you immediately you like, yo, I'm playing with, like, two NBA guys, and I had to figure out how to, like, be on the court to help these guys because these guys looking at you. If you miss a shot, these guys are seniors and, and juniors, and, and they looking at you like, yo, what are you doing, young guy? Mm-hmm. So the adjustment was speed of the game. But my biggest adjustment going to Mizzou is seeing snow, man. I never saw snow. <laughs> that's, the first, that's the first time mm-hmm. I saw snow in my life. And uh, 
and being away from home, I was like, the basketball part was easy. You know, I worked hard. I was a good kid. You know, I, I picked, I felt like I had a high IQ for the game. So on the court was the easy part. It's the hard part was just being far from my family and, you know, dealing with the, getting used to the weather because I had never been in that type of atmosphere before. Capital Investment Management is a proud sponsor of the House of Hustle podcast. For independent financial planning, retirement guidance, and more, go to CIMRetirementPros.com. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a broker-dealer member, FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Capital Investment Management Incorporated, Capital Investment Management Incorporated, and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. All right, so I want to ask you about the, the, the 94 team that went undefeated uh, in conference play and made it to the Elite Eight. And there, there are two moments in that season, two three-point attempts that I think about a lot that, from that season. Number one was at the end of the, of, of, the, of the regular season, you guys played Nebraska, and you were up too right. late. And I think it was Eric Pajkowski took a three from, like, the logo, and it did everything but go. And that was the undefeated season. And I was sitting there watching. I was going, no, no, because he could hit from anywhere. And it, right. it went in and out. But then you guys go 14-0. And then the other one was one that went in, and I think I remember this correctly, in the Syracuse game in overtime, in the first point scored in overtime, you hit a deep three. And it was that was such a great game, uh, and it was like right. when you hit that three. Okay, okay, Mizzou's gonna win now, and you guys ended up winning that game in overtime. Take me back to that season, because that season started with giving up 120 to Arkansas, and you guys got blown out. Nobody See, could have okay. thought you guys would end up in the Elite Eight. What a special season! What are some of your favorite memories from '94? Man, that that season was. You could write like a book on that season if you really thought about it, because. The beginning of the season, the non-conference schedule, we were struggling to win against the Central Missouri's. I mean, Coppin State. We was winning like close games, and then we go to Arkansas and just get embarrassed on ESPN. And ESPN back then, not like ESPN today. It was like Monday Night Football. Like you're the only game on TV, and if the whole world is watching, and we get beat like by fifty some points. And then another part, the, the Illinois game, is, I think it's the game. The, the Arkansas game was an embarrassment, but the Illinois triple overtime game, the bragging right game, was the game that turned our season around right there for us. And um, we was resilient. We, we won. We won with like five, six guys fouling out. And that showed us that we could be a really good team then. And after that, we just got on our streak and we just, we just started like, we locked in and like guys like Kelly was a freshman. He was growing up. He had some gang. Jason Southern was coming off the bench, giving us energy. We had eight seniors on that team. So we was a seasoned team and um, it just carried over into the conference play. And the, and the closer we got to undefeated and a lot of things worked our way. I remember we beat Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Like, I think I drove in the paint and the ball got tipped and like it just fell in Kelly's hand. He just laid it up to win at the buzzer. Like it was a lot of things that like, like happened that season that, you know, helped us go 14 and 0, but we got closer and closer as a team and closer we got to that, that chance of going undefeated. We just locked in even more, you know, the tournament didn't turn out the way we, we made it to the elite eight, but I felt like the NCAA jerked us a little bit. We should have been number one seed in the Midwest, not number one seed in the West and Arizona is the number two seed. So we had to play them in LA. And I have to hear these stories now because I'm here in Arizona. But I ran out in the arena. We was in the LA Sports Coliseum, I think that's what it was called. 
we come out for the for the regional final game and I felt like we was playing on the road because it was so much, you know, so many Arizona fans in there. So but you know, overall it was a great season, man. Something that we'll remember forever. Those guys are brothers to me and we all still talk today and uh we keep everything close and I would never ever forget that season. You know, it's funny, your 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 team will forevermore now be the example that fans use to try to explain away a blowout loss early in the non-con. Because on every right. message board, if Mizzou loses <laughs> by double, <laughs> yeah, well, right. well, 94 team lost by 50 to Arkansas, so maybe Elite Eight. So just this one loss. But people look you know back what? at that and think about that, and that's the example people use to try to make themselves feel better in the non-con. Doesn't always work out that way. It doesn't always work out that way. That's right. <laughs> it I, does not always. I do want to just some personal accolades from that season, too. You mentioned the Illinois game in St. Louis. You set the school record in that game with 13 assists. You also, you mentioned the Wisconsin game. I, I think about the, the Kansas game, too, in Lawrence, and you had, you had your career high in scoring of 35, I think twice that year, right, in terms of scoring the ball. So you talk right. about facilitating and scoring. You kind of did a little bit of everything because, I mean, I, I look back on some of your film, and I kind of think about you in today's modern-day game, right, um, and just the value of the three-point shot and what you were doing in 94 as a lead guard, facilitator, and scorer. You did a little bit of everything, but the game was played a little bit differently as well, right? right. Anything right. you would you would touch on, just kind of drawing back to 94 to now of just what you would be in today's modern game? You know, I joke with Devin all the time. I always say uh, I probably score 20, 20 <laughs> and 10 in <Right>. modern day <laughs> basketball. And, you know, the knock on me coming out was I wasn't a true point guard. That's what they used to say about me, and that's probably why I didn't get drafted because – but, you know, today, you see how the game is. Everybody's scoring on the floor. But, uh, I mean, I just did whatever the team need. There's times where I didn't have to score those type of points. And then there's times where I felt like I need to got, you know, try to lead this team. And I did it scoring. And the Kansas game, the Wisconsin game, was probably the two of the bigger games in my college career, scoring-wise. And uh, had a lot of fun doing it. But I, I just like to do whatever to help us win, man. And, you know, I still do that in my pickup games today. Sometimes I'm like Chris Paul facilitating, and sometimes I'm like Devin Booker shooting. So <laughs> it depends on whatever it takes to win. So you, you mentioned your son, Devin. At what point uh, in his life, like how old was he when you realized, okay, he's he's real good. He could end up being an NBA player. Was there ever a point that opened your eyes that you remember that – that you thought that he could really be special? Oh, man. Um, it's not a particular point, but what I can say is Devin could always shoot the ball. He had perfect form, and he could shoot the ball as a young kid. And Jared would know more. The NBA is like a copycat league now. And the Splash Brother, Golden State, right around about 2012, was trending upward. Like, shooting was coming back. It was all about athleticism. And Devin is not the most athletic person, but he's athletic enough. But shooting started transcending. Like, everybody wants shooters. And for a young age, and then, you know, we was on the AAU circuits. We said all the top kids. Most of the top kids were just athletes. Devin was one of the few shooters on those circuits. And I felt like then, me knowing, being a professional myself and knowing the game, and I know how I was going to trend towards getting away from the athlete, more of a shooting, I knew he had a chance because of the way he shot the ball. And then he get to Kentucky, 
and he's on a loaded team. All he's doing is catching and shooting the ball, and he shot it at a high clip. And I knew then that's when, you know, he had a legitimate chance because the game has really turned into shooters. And now you look at it today, I mean, he's on a heater right now. He's averaging like 50 over the last three. But if you look at the points that everybody putting up in the game, team-wise and individual, like it's all about putting the ball in the hole. And in the early, early age, he could do that at a high clip from all three levels on the court. I knew if we continue to work, he gets stronger. I knew his IQ was high. I knew he had a legitimate chance. Man, what are you doing in a game when he when he's dropping sixty two like he did the other night? That's got to be crazy, though. Uh, I'd be like, mm, he missed two free throws. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's impressive watching it, and uh, but I know Devin is like he'd rather have the win mm-hmm. versus yep. the points. Yep, and uh, you know he hate doing that, like and losing because. In his early career, the first five years, we, you know, he wasn't a great team. He was scoring his points. So he got labeled as like a losing player because he scored points but not winning. So I think he'd rather have the, the, the wins versus, you know, uh, you know, the crazy amount of points. And if he can have both, that'd be a perfect world. But, you know, doing it on a loss, he's not happy about that. Melvin, you appreciate this. It kind of ties in just talking about Devin and his competitiveness. But... I remember us meeting for the first time at the alumni game that Lawrence Bowers and Damari Carroll uh, put on, and you were playing in it, you know, and you come back, and everybody's kind of meeting each other. We step out on the floor, and Melvin's on my team, and I could just kind of see it in his eye like, he's not taking this game like it's an alumni <laughs> game. He's, he wants to get up and down. And then we start playing, and, I, I mean, it was incredible watching Melvin play. Just like, God, he, he could step on the floor right now and, and, and give guys buckets in an alumni run or – and a rec run, you know, and and just the competitive part of it. You wanted to, you you played hard, like that's how you knew how to play, and it just kind of draws some similarities of watching your son play, and just kind of that tie-in of uh, the compete level, like the scoring and the the talent level was one thing, but just you know, you step across the line, doesn't matter what it is, you're going to compete. Did Jared pass the ball at all? By <laughs> I, mean, he, I don't think I, I don't got. I got a few touches. I think I, I think I gave him a couple of assists all actually. Right, hopefully, right, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Jared passed. The ball. So everybody got. Everybody got enough shots. That's right. That's right. But, I mean, you know, I still play. Like, I'm playing today, later today. I'm play- I play three times a week, and uh, we Love compete. It. And I'm still running up and down the court. So, you know, it's always when you get between them lines, you know, I, I just like to compete. I, you know, I've raised Devin to be the same way. If you see Devin have more of an old soul type player than, than the new school, like, he going to compete. He going to compete against his friends. And, that's just like, I don't know, I guess the Booker thing. My dad was like that, too. And uh, it's just when you get out there, you just want to win. You want to win at everything you do. And, and you don't want that one person out of their head to say, I beat you in this or I beat you in that. So it's just the competitive side of it. Man. I love it. And, you know, it gets my juices flowing. And, you know, it, it's just part of me. I don't even know how to turn it off, to be honest. Every, every dad that has a son goes through that uh... – evolution of when you start playing one-on-one with your son and they can't beat you and then and then maybe you you you, you let them beat you or you get to a point where oh boy i don't know if i could beat him anymore what how, how did some of those games go when when how old was he when he could finally take melvin booker or 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 did that ever happen that is so funny that you asked this question because i got i got a text message just the other day but let me get to that Devin and i have never played one-on-one oh really i think it'd be too like Back when he was younger, you know, it would have been too competitive. 
we have played like five on five and matched up against each other, but we never played one on one. And if you ask him, he said he'll beat me. If I, if you ask me, I say I'll beat him. But he just texted me forty eight hours ago, two days ago, after he just scored what he scored forty six. Mm-hmm. Out the blue, Dad, you think you can guard me? And I replied back, Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> he just two days ago, he just texted me that, and and that's the, that was the end of our conversation. Nothing else was said. I said, hell yeah, and I left it like that. It almost, that almost sounds like a challenge, Melvin, to be honest with you. Oh, uh, no, I'm not going to challenge him. He, <laughs> yeah. he scored 70 in the game. I'm not going to challenge him right now. I, I, I can still play, but I don't move and defend like I used to. So, you know, having gone through, obviously, you mentioned when you were recruited, the in-state schools didn't look at you, you know, and then you had some smaller schools, and then ultimately you got to Mizzou. When he was going through the recruiting process – what what advice did you give him, and what was that like for you, watching your son go through a, a much different recruiting process, and and ha- having that right balance of being involved, but also allowing him to make his own decision? Um, man, that was a tough that was a tough situation to be in, you know, because you know Mizzou was heavily involved in the recruitment, and um, it was a process that we just went through the process and. I just told him the pros and the cons of what you really look at, you know, when you decide on, on the school. Every every university got great facilities and, and you know, you're going to have the best shoes or whatever. And it, it's about situations. And and, it, and if your dream is to get to the next level, uh, you know, you have to make these decisions wisely. Fortunate enough, him and um, Tyler Eulis, had created a bond from the AAU circuit, and they decided that they want to go to school together. So we did, uh, We did. I guess we visited Michigan State together with Tyler Eulett's family, and we did Kentucky visit together with their family. And, um, and, and you know, ultimately it was Devin's decision. The house was divided for a little bit. I know some Mizzou people are a little upset that I ain't, but I wasn't going to force my son to go somewhere where I went. It was all his decision. Because as a parent, you know, the last thing you want to do is be the person to say, you push your kid there and then something happened or it don't work out. They're going to be like, yo, you don't want to tell me to go there. And I didn't want my son to have that kind of feel. But, you know, it was it was a tough process to go through. Fun process, though. It ain't nothing to be, like, stressful about. At least I explained it to him. And, uh just make your decision, live with it, and uh, move on. You mentioned, too, like just the situation. He gets to Kentucky, and like you mentioned earlier, it's a loaded team. Um, and his role is obviously much different than what he's doing in the NBA. You know, he's more of a spot shooter, but it, it was just kind of unique to see him on a, such a great team knowing fully that he was bought into his role. Uh, I think that's what was so impressive about that year is – you know, there's so many guys, there's only one ball, and they were a great team. And he kind of embraced that for a young player. That, that, that's got to make you proud as a dad and a, and a player yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing of being able to, you know, once you – I explained to him, once you get to the NBA, you, you're not going to be the best player at the time. So you have to figure out how to play in a role immediately and, and, and be great in your role. But, um, you know, when he went to Kentucky, our plan, and we thought about it, was not to leave. We wasn't planning on leaving after his freshman year, but with the way he played and as he rolls up the boards, I mean, we didn't have no choice but to come out. 
And I know he was just a spot shooter at Kentucky, but what we have been working on his entire career, he played with the ball in his hand, played off the ball. He could do everything on the court at all levels. And he just, like, scaled it back to fit in with the team, but he always had, like, a complete game, I would say, like on the ball, off the ball type guy, catch, shoot, off the dribble. And, and like you say, he played his role well, and the kid didn't even start. And you know, right. he ended up being 13th in, in the NBA draft and never started a game in college. That's one thing I do have over him. I'm like, bro, you didn't even start in college. I did. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so it, it, you're talking more about your career after you, you finished with the Rockets and the Nuggets. You had a very successful, extensive career playing overseas. You played for several teams in Italy. You played in Turkey. You played in Russia. And so take us to what that experience was like. I mean, Italy sounds like that would be wonderful. Maybe Turkey, but Russia, I don't don't know about Russia, Melvin. So tell tell me. Don't sleep on Moscow. (laughs) Tell tell me what that, I'd love to hear about it. Tell me what that was like. First, it was cold. It's very cold. But, you know, the team called me after I finished in Turkey. The, the Russian team called me, and I said no three times because I had no desire to go to Russia. And then, uh, I mean, if you know a Russian person, like, they don't take no for an answer. <laughs> At, every time I said no, the price just went up. Every time it just went up, and I was like, with the money that they're giving, all right, I'm going to go. I had the time of my life. Moscow really? is like any international city in the world like it's people from all over it's a major city it's like 13 million people in moscow besides the weather and being so cold which you get used to i had a i had an awesome time i met i met i got a lot of friends that i still communicate with through whatsapp they keep up with Devin. they reach out to me and uh you know it's just an experience that i had on the journey all the places i've been italy istanbul uh and Moscow, like those are the, you know, those, those situations played also a major role into my growth as a man, as a father, basketball. I learned a lot from European coaches, their style of coaches that I incorporated in my little time coaching high school basketball, AAU basketball, to also training my son because I had to go through the training process. And if Jared, you know, he's scout, man. In Europe, they're very detailed about working out training, and and I think that's a great thing. And if you see a lot of these European players in the NBA, they're they very skilled, yeah. and it comes from their training process. And I instilled a lot of that in Devin as well. It's funny to talk about players that go play overseas, and they, they always talk on the practices and just how it's so different from an NBA tile type of practice, right? Like it's – you're playing maybe less games than an NBA it's sketch. It's it's we're real work. It's not practice. It's yeah, work. there's it's no walk through. There's no light stuff. No. It's it's every day you're bringing it. Um, and it I, I think there's something to that. Um, and it's still the teaching part of it too that guys right. talk about is, is they still harp on skill. And you know you're 27, 28. You're like wait, I'm I'm a pro. Like you're teaching right. me fundamental stuff. But that's to me something that really jumps out sometimes when talking to guys that play overseas. Exactly. And um, I had one coach on game day, shoot around. We taped our ankles. Wow. Like, wow. Yeah, we used, we used wow. to get up and down on game day in the morning. Unbelievable. Ankles taped everything. And you don't understand it, but, you know, it was my livelihood. You know, I was taking care of my family. And 
I had to I had to do it. And looking back on it, it was an experience. Some of the times I didn't like it, but most of the time I embraced it. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm from small town Mississippi. I'm making a lot of money. And the experience of living in Europe, I mean, it's like that's a lifetime experience. I tell people all the time it's a paid vacation. I was in Milan and people People pay to go to Milan, and I was living there in Istanbul and Moscow and places, and I was getting paid to do it. And like I said, I had a lot of fun, and it was great for my career. I don't even talk much about my NBA career. I, I kind of like my European career is my career because I really got an opportunity to play and make a difference. And some of them cities I can't wait to get back to. I haven't had time to get back, but I plan to go back soon. As I can go back, and some of the people will remember some of my games there. So you mentioned that text message from Devin asking if, if you thought uh, that uh, you could guard him. If you look at your high school career and you talk about how much talent was was you know in, in your in your district, NBA career, college career, Europe factor everything in. Who's who's the toughest player to guard for you in in your career? Man, different levels. I mean, playing against Mahmoud. He was the best high school kid. Nothing against my son. I tell him this all the time. He know that. Nothing against my son, but Chris Jackson, my move was the best high school player I've ever seen in my life. So mm. sophomore year, I'm out there trying to guard a guy that can give you 50 any time. And he was doing all the stuff that Steph Curry doing today. Mahmoud was doing that in 1988 when they instilled the three-point line. And I think that's when they put the three-point line in Mississippi in the high school game. But um, that level, and then college, you know, in that five-second rule, that it's, it was tough playing at Allen Fieldhouse and Adonis Jordan, Rex Walters, Steve Woodbury, and all them guys. They they were pretty tough as well. And then you know, it's it's a mountain of European guys that I had to play against back in back in my days in Europe. A lot of guys didn't come to the NBA, the best players. So they stayed in Europe. So I played against some guys that I felt like could have had 10, 15 year careers in the NBA. They just decided to stay in Europe and they were some great, they were some tough players. So it's not one single player I could say, but it's a lot of great players I played against. I was talking with uh, Marcus Denman about just kind of his experience. He got drafted by the Spurs late um, and they had his rights for quite a while. And his dream was to, to get, you know, on the NBA roster, right? And, and why wouldn't it be? He was a great player. Like, that was his right. dream. And he, he was telling me, like, those first two, three years as a pro, you know, he was trying so – he was going to summer league, every, you know, you know being, being on any sort of summer league roster to try to get it. And he realized really quickly, like, once you're not put into that position of getting that opportunity – you really need to pivot and embrace what you have going overseas. And he's had an incredible overseas, still playing and just still playing at such a high level, and he's gotten better. And I, I think there's something to that of, you know, I, I, I do believe Marcus was an NBA player. Like, I, I believe he could have done it. It just the opportunity really didn't present itself, and that's sometimes what it is, uh, you know, especially when it's a global game and there's so much talent in the league right now. It's just yeah. tough to crack a roster. I mean, G League rosters now, there's a lot of talent in the G League. Um, and now overseas, you're seeing it too. Do, do you draw anything just looking at your career and, and knowing, I'm sure you had the dream to like get on that NBA roster, knowing there probably was opportunities maybe there and maybe some doors were closed and then you wouldn't have had a great career overseas. Like, do you 
do you look at the game now and, and kind of just how players view it now of, of being able to go from college, maybe want to get into the league, can't do it, go overseas, embrace that, um, and still have a great successful career and, 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 and can continue to be a, a pro overseas? Right. You know, you know, I was at the end of the bench in and out. I was in the CBA at the time, which yep. was the G League. You know, I got called up to Houston for the rest of the season. Golden State was an opportunity that I finally got a chance to play. I thought I played well enough to show that I was an NBA player. And, you know, in my exit meeting, I had the general manager and the coach was like, yo, we want to bring you back. I was so excited. I was like, I finally, you know, proved that I belong in this league. And right before free agency, the general manager and the coach get fired. <laughs> exactly. So I'm there like, you go. man, that was that was my one opportunity right there. Right. I finally found two people that trust me and believe in me, and they wanted to bring me back, and they get fired. So immediately, you know, I'm talking to my agent, and I was like, yo, I just want to give Europe a chance. And uh, I had a job in a uh, small town on the Adriatic Sea called um, Pesaro, and I went there and I played my first game, and it was like basketball is like, the Green Bay Packers, the Yankees to that city. Mm -hmm. And immediately, and I was like, man, these people are passionate about the game. And um, and we had a game against the best team. My first game against the best team uh, in Italy at the time. And they had American player who was making like a million dollars. This is like in 97, 98, something like that. Making a million dollars a year. And I went out there and played against him and outplayed him and they beat us at the buzzer. And I was like, shit, is he getting a million dollars? <laughs> right. I might need to stay over here. That's right. <laughs> so that's when I had my love for, for Europe. And uh, I just started, you know, doing my research and figuring out about teams and how it all goes. And, you know, then you got the Euro League, which it wasn't a Euro League then. It was called a Super League finding out who got the money. And then I just fell in love with it, man. I just said no more summer league, no more vet camps. I just want to be in Europe. And I told my agent, like, yo, just find me the best job in Europe. And it's the best thing ever happened to me. I still tell kids today because I'm in these gyms, like, yo, if you don't get a shot to leave, don't feel bad. Just go over there and start creating your European career. You will actually love it even more because you will have more of an impact on the game. Things have to kind of fall in place for you in the NBA. You be at the end of the bench. Guys got to get hurt. You got to get in the rotation. Then you got to perform. That's a full five-year process. If you go to Europe, they're bringing you over there to play, and you can make an impact immediately. And, you know, you just feel good about yourself because you're hitting game-winning shots. You're, you're playing. Right. And that's what you – that's your love for the game is to play, not to sit at the end of the bench, man. Once I made that decision, that was the best decision I ever made. Yeah. Last one from, from me is um, when, when you hear this said, so your son, Devin, youngest player at age 20 – to score 70, 70 in a game. He's the sixth player in NBA history. But at, at that point, he did that at 20. He was the, That was the highest scoring game since Kobe's 81. Um, to be right. in that company of Kobe Bryant um, and just your love for the game, obviously, your passion for the game, and then to see your son have that same passion, that same fire for the game, and to be in that the company of the game's greats, like all-time greats, what is that feeling like as, as a dad? Like, what, what's, what's that mean to you? Man, it, it's it's hard to describe because people ask me that, what's the feeling? But to be honest, man, when we was working out 
in the gym, one-on-one, me and him. We used to drive three hours to our AAU team every Friday. The talks, the conversation we used to have. I mean, humbly, I'm like, this is what we expected. Like, yeah. This is what he worked hard for. Like, Kevin worked extremely hard when for three and a half, four years when he moved with me to go to high school in Mississippi. Like, we worked on the floor, off the floor, his mentor, everything. And to see him having this success, I mean, it's exciting as a parent, but this is what we were working for. And it's just his hard work has paid off. And uh, he has so much more, you know, in his career to scratch. I mean, we still got the bitter taste from, you know, losing in the finals. He want to bring a championship to the city of Phoenix. Um, it's just, I mean, like I said, man, it's just, this is what I expect out of him because I know him mentally and I know him personally. You know, a lot of people just know the basketball player. I know that I know the kid that's been driving and been working hard that want to be great and be special. And and he just put in the time and to be mentioned with them guys. It's like unbelievable. But he got so much more. He's just 27 years old in his ninth year in the league, which is crazy. I feel like he's been in the league 20 years. <laughs> he's 27. But the kid is special, man, on and off the court. If you ever get to talk to him, you think you're talking to somebody like 40 years old because he's such an old soul. Yeah. I'll tell you what, Melvin, is a lifelong Mizzou fan, I can speak for a lot of Mizzou fans. It was great talking to you. And, you know, people that ask me, you know, hey, wh- who's your favorite Mizzou basketball player of all time? And it's always three answers together. Melvin Booker, <laughs> Javon Crudup, and Anthony Peeler. Because those are the hey, glory days. Up, man. man, you and Crudup. I'm the only, I'm the only guy that's not from Kansas City. That's all right. That's right. That. That's, that's all right, right. though. I really appreciate that. You're a true son of Missouri. Let me tell you that right now. And, hey, uh, and, and congratulations on, uh, on all the success you had and that you, your, your son has had. And, uh, man, we really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Oh, man, thanks for having me. You know, anytime you need me, just reach out, man. I'm available for you guys. Appreciate it, I always uh, appreciate, too, you coming back to when I was at Mizzou with Mike Anderson. You guys came back. We honored your 94 team. And I remember yeah. you speaking to the team, and um, I looked up to you just being a Kansas City kid, being a Mizzou fan, uh, knowing your background and your history of, of being a legend, your Hall of Famer. Uh, but I just appreciate all you do for the, for the program, for the school, when you can get back and, and give up your time and – uh, just so so good to listen to your stories and, and the, your your life as a player and, and as a dad now seeing your son doing what he's doing. So thank you as always and, and continued success for you guys. Uh, thank you. So until next time, thanks for joining us today on the House of Hustle podcast. We'll be back uh, here probably in the next week or so. We've got to get dive into the Big 12. We've got to dive into some some conference ter- conference tournament talk. We'll be talking about that. All hell is breaking loose in the Big 12. It's right really now, crazy. Joe, so. It's wild. It is wild. So Kansas lost to Iowa State. That was a hell of a game, though. But um, we got a lot to catch up on here as we, uh, we continue down the road here in league play. Absolutely. Again, great to catch up yep. with Melvin Booker, one of the greatest Mizzou basketball players ever. And uh, it was just awesome to hear him talk about so many different things today. Absolutely. So until next time, thanks for joining us here on the House of Hustle podcast.